So the first night we got here, my wife and kids and I, and we're moving in to get set up. It's hard to make dinner. So we quickly ran over to the uh, Chinese restaurant over here, right? It's good for kids and whatever. So we took them there, got a round table, sat down, and we're going to eat. We're going to try to eat some whatever, what do you call it, sweet and sour chicken or whatever, make it through it, and, and it'll be, that'll be dinner for Thursday night. As we're sitting there, we see a humongous long table. Long table. And then, looks like a whole share of it, like 30 seats. And then, we see an older man and an older woman come. And then we see other people come. And then we realize for a second, my wife and I, one second, we know that man. He happens to be, he lives four doors down from us in Brooklyn. Eskenazi man from Brooklyn, come here. We said, one second, what's going on over here? After a little while, we realized this man, husband and wife, have 16 children. 12 of which are already married. So that table, that Sheva Berachot, was just him, his wife, and his married kids, and his children. What are they here to celebrate? Find that, turns out that this man, 10 years ago, had issues with his lungs. He was almost dead. And he was pretty much decided he only has a couple of days left. And Hashem somehow made him live. And this is 10 years later, it's a 10-year celebration. He had all his kids together, just his children, none of his grandchildren, to celebrate the 10-year anniversary of him getting his life back. So he got up, if you could imagine, naturally, at this point, I'm totally focused on his table. I don't even know where my kids are. I'm just looking at his table. And he gets up to speak. And he's an older man. He gets up to speak and he starts to talk about that surgery. And he says, the doctors didn't want to do the surgery. He says, I remember hearing mommy speak to one, to one of the great rabbis, telling him he only has a few days left to live. He says, and the doctors knew because my lung was gone, it was horrible. In fact, he says, once, the surge, once I did manage, well, I'll tell you that in a minute. He says, and then there's a doctor who could perform the surgery. And another doctor goes over to the surgeon and says, you have to do the surgery. He says, I'm not doing it. He says, why are you not doing it? He says, I'm not doing it because I never, ever lost a patient on the operating table. And this man has very little chance to live. So I'm not doing the surgery. Because I don't want to lose a patient. I don't want this to be the first one that goes down under my watch. So I'm not doing the surgery. The other doctor turns to me and says, looks at him in the eyes. He says, one second. There's 16 children out there waiting for this man to live. And you're not going to perform the surgery? The doctor stood there three minutes. He says, you know what? Roll him in. I'll do it. And he did the surgery. Replaced his lung. I don't know what he did. And somehow... The man lived. And finally, when he woke up a few days later, weeks later, he told the doctor, he says, Doctor, I want to thank you from the bottom of my lung. <laughs> and he lived. And now you see him stand up and start to read little letters from the grandchildren on colored paper. And one, one grandchild says, Zadie, which means grandpa, Grandpa, I am so thankful that you're alive. And he comments, so am I. And you see a person, and you see a doctor, who goes the difference between having one vision or the other vision. The one vision says, I have statistics I have to hold up. 
I have to make sure that everybody knows that I never lost a patient because my job is me right now, how it makes me look and the credentials and the pictures and the, the plaques that are on the walls of my office. And then there's someone who snaps him into reality and says, one second, you have the skills, this is what you're here to do, there's the need, the person is right here in front of you. You can accomplish something so much more powerful than a statistic. You can save a man for all his children and grandchildren. How do you live? How do you live? Do you just focus on the paint and the fixing and the moving and the doing and the July 4th and the barbecue and the pool and the fun, which potentially could be part of your purpose. But is that what you focus on? Or do you say, what are the needs? Do my children need me? Do my parents need me? Does the community need me? Do I have a skill set that I believe I can help other people with and it fits with what I believe is important? Do I think that way? When I think that way, then I can be one of those people that helps to bring the Mashiach. Because Pinchas, the Berachah to you, you the man who stood up and understood the need that was around you, and boldly said, even though Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't know what to do, I'm going to be the first person who stands up and does something without any instructions. Because almost everybody else that does something in the Torah, is they're instructed to do so. I'm going to get up just by seeing the need and responding to the purpose that I know I was born here to do. God put me right here, right now, with this ability, with this skill set, to do this.